millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, July 12th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, cases of the Delta variant of COVID-19 spike in Mississippi. Then a new poll indicates deep-rooted support for the ballot initiative process. And the Mississippi Delta will soon have a new hospital. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The COVID-19 infection rate ticks upward in Mississippi. Friday, the state reported 416 new cases. That's about double the daily case count a few weeks ago. State epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers says variant strains of the disease are partially responsible for the spike. What we have seen is a rapid transition over to the Delta variant, becoming the predominant variant of concern that's being identified in the state. Beginning in early June and late May, we began this transition over to the Delta variant. Now, the predominant variant of concern that we're identifying in the state is the Delta variant. And as Dr. Dobbs mentioned, we are starting to see pretty significant transmission of Delta that is very reminiscent of some that we saw in the early days of the pandemic. We're seeing school and summer enrichment programs, in funeral gatherings, in the workplace, in other gatherings where individuals who are largely unvaccinated are getting together. We're seeing some residential care and long-term care outbreaks. And in many of these outbreaks, we have directly identified that they are the result of the Delta variant. And the transmission in, in those outbreaks has been pretty significant. If that significant transmission continues, Mississippi hospitals could be overwhelmed by an explosion in cases. Byers says the Department of Health is taking preliminary steps to ensure that doesn't happen. That's an unknown at this point. I think we're going to have to watch that. Certainly we need our health systems prepared. And, and I think that the, the recommendations that we're making right now are, are key to 
one of our primary goals, which has been throughout the pandemic, and that is to, to maintain healthcare systems capacity. And, and that's why we report that data. That's why we look at that data. We're certainly not at the levels that we were for hospitalizations during the worst time of the pandemic when our, our healthcare systems were the most strained and our healthcare systems really stepped up and participated in the system to be able to make sure that we had appropriate care available for, for all Mississippians in the state, regardless of whether it was COVID related or not. And I think that that was a key component. And certainly as we watch these numbers, we'll continue to work with those healthcare systems to make sure that, you know, if there's additional recommendations that we need to make or additional actions that we need to take, that we'll communicate those effectively. Alan Jones of the University of Mississippi Medical Center tells MPB's Kobe Vance his hospital isn't in panic mode, but pressure on some resources are creeping up. We are starting to see a few more demands on our testing capabilities, uh, both among our employees as well as among our patients. Is that from several months ago or is that from just a few weeks? Yeah, just, well, tracking over the last, say, two months, gradually we've seen in the last two to three weeks, we've seen the testing demand go up. And now as we've seen the emergence of some variants in Mississippi, especially the Delta variant, have you seen in your position any more concern in among uh, the hospitals about what that could mean for hospitals in the future? Well, I think people are certainly uh, nervous and keeping their eye on it. Most of the hospitalizations that we see now are in unvaccinated individuals. So, you know, given the fact that we still have a pretty low percentage of our population that are eligible that have been vaccinated, we certainly remain concerned that we may see significant increases in the hospitalization rate among the unvaccinated if that Delta variant becomes the predominant strain and is much more infectious as is suspected. Now, that age group when we had it last summer was one of the age groups that was at less at risk, and that's the, uh, anybody below 60 years old. Do you think that we'll be better off than we were last summer uh, because of that, or do you think we're still going to be facing some challenges this, if, if the variants do take hold in Mississippi? I, I think it's possible we'll face some challenges. I believe that because we have had, you know, 35 or so percent of the population vaccinated that the challenges will be less significant, but not not to suggest that they won't be challenges. So it seems as though that demographic is shifting, as I mentioned earlier, to both unvaccinated as well as uh, I think that this variant is circulating a little more predominantly in, in younger age populations, which does suggest perhaps that it's a little more infectious. So that, you know, we, we are keeping our eyes on that closely. Looking into uh, hospitalizations again, what are y'all seeing in the hospitals? Like uh, in the previous times we talked, things were um, kind of tight over there, I remember. How are things looking today? I think today we entered the day with about 20 positive or um, or under investigation patients, which we've we've been somewhere in that general vicinity, you know, between 15 and 25 for the last several months. Um, so, 
you know, it's certainly nowhere near as bad as it has been in the past, but we would love to see that number go down to zero. Um, Are those patients mostly in uh, standard care or is that ICU? Most of them are in med surge units, not in the ICU. What would be your messaging to Mississippians right now as we continue to see us a, a rise in the spread of these variants that um, some people might have concerns about? Get a vaccine, um, and if you're not willing to get a vaccine, then wear a mask and say, stay distanced from others. The vaccine is is very effective, but it it doesn't necessarily totally prevent contracting the virus. It just means that you're less likely to get ill or be hospitalized, and you could potentially still transmit the virus. So it's just really, really important for people to get get out and get the vaccine and or just continue to do the things that have been things that we know can help get us through this, which is masking and staying distant. Mississippi remains the least vaccinated U.S. state per capita. Coming up, a new poll suggests Mississippi's ballot initiative process enjoys bipartisan popularity. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Earlier this year, a state Supreme Court decision found Mississippi's ballot initiative process to be unconstitutional. The ruling left pending initiatives, including bids to expand Medicaid and allow early voting, hanging in limbo. It also scuppered a medical marijuana program initially set to launch this summer. A new poll commissioned by the Southern Poverty Law Center measures support for the initiative process among Mississippi residents. Ben Tolchin, whose company conducted the poll, says the results are unambiguous. Our big takeaways from this is voters overwhelmingly support the initiative process in a bipartisan manner, overwhelmingly support medical marijuana in Mississippi. They strongly oppose what the Supreme Court has done here to basically overturn the will of the people, both medical marijuana, the initiative process more broadly, uh, and they uh, very much want elected officials to take action to restore the initiative process in, in medical marijuana in the state. So, and, and they're clearly indicate, as last few slides show, they're willing to hold politicians accountable if they don't take action on this. So, uh, and honestly, you know, when we release data like this, we rarely get opportunities to release data that's so overwhelmingly uniformly bipartisan and overwhelming in its response and, and, and just how consistent the data was on whether it's the initiative, ballot initiative process or medical marijuana. Specifically, the poll finds that 71 percent of Mississippi voters oppose the elimination of the ballot initiative and 68 percent object to the Supreme Court decision that killed the marijuana program. Additionally, more than three quarters of respondents say it's urgently incumbent on lawmakers to fix the initiative process. What voters are telling us loud and clear is that they'll reward an elected official, the representative, if they vote to restore the ballot initiative process by overwhelming margin in all voters, regardless of party, and they will punish 
their elected official, their representative, if they refuse to take action or, or, or in, in this case, a limit, which would ultimately end up eliminating the state's ballot initiative process. So it's it's there's both a, a carrot and a stick approach here from voters to say, hey, if you vote the way we want you to, we support the ballot initiative process, we want you to restore it. You do that, we'll reward you. And if you go down the other path and and don't take action, which ultimately could lead to eliminating the ballot initiative process, they, they will vote to punish you. So according to Tolchin, slow walking and initiative fix could spell trouble for legislators. But what about for Governor Reeves? He said he won't call a special session to address the issue unless lawmakers come to a consensus beforehand. Here's Tolchin again. The governor should take very good heed of these numbers. These are overwhelming numbers for people describing it as a, you know, it's a conservative state. It's a Republican state for sure, but a Republican governor is not beyond reproach on an issue that has, you know, basically we found bipartisan support that unified Democrats and Republicans, which is a extremely rare rarity in politics these days. So yeah, I mean, Largely less support among Republicans, sure, compared to other questions we found. But by a 21-point margin, Republicans are still saying they'd be less likely to to support a Republican governor, right? So it's a very, very, I mean, basically high bar we 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 established for this question, and a large number of plurality Republicans uh, clear that bar. So it's a very clear signal to the governor that I mean, he is really taking a huge risk if he doesn't heed the will of the voters on this issue. I mean, these numbers suggest that. Voters have a split up, indicate voters have a split opinion on the governor. And, you know, he doesn't, with these numbers, he, he, in my view, he doesn't have a lot of leeway here to, to take on uh, an issue like this and, and piss off the vast majority of voters, right? I mean, clearly voters overwhelmingly support the initiative process and restoring it and medical marijuana. So given where his numbers are, that voters are split on him. And you saw the previous slide how by wide margin, voters would be less likely to support him if he you know, basically refuses to take action and restore it. You know, I think, again, this data shows a very clear signal that he's not in a position of strength here on this issue and that he should, um, you know, if, if he were, wants to stay in office, he, he, he should heed these numbers and, and, and listen to the will of the people. So we get it. Tolchin and the SPLC say the ballot initiative is overwhelmingly popular in Mississippi. But some lawmakers remain skeptical of the process. Outspoken among them is Senate Democrat Hob Bryan. He talks to MPB's Rob Lane. I'm not in favor of the initiative process. Half the states have no initiative process. That would be my preference. Having said that, I think it's likely the legislature is going to pass a constitutional amendment to have an initiative for statutes. But if if there are public policy matters that the voters want to bring about, they should elect legislators and statewide leaders who will do them. There's all this furor over Medicaid expansion, which I certainly support. But Governor Reeves was as clear as he could possibly be that he opposed Medicaid expansion. Speaker Gunn and those who got elected to the House of Representatives and voted for Speaker Gunn knew that Speaker Gunn opposed Medicaid expansion with fervor. So suddenly the same people that have put Governor Reeves and Speaker Gunn in charge, knowing full well they opposed Medicaid expansion, now say we want Medicaid expansion. Why didn't they vote for candidates who would produce Medicaid expansion? In your view, how would... Mississippi's legislative and executive branch look different 
without a ballot initiative process and with you know forcing forcing the nose to the grindstone of mississippi voters if you will to elect people that represent the full spectrum of their interests the voters certainly can vote for anyone they want for any reason or for no reason but if the voters elect a group of people who say they're pledged to do something they shouldn't be surprised to find these people do it the 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 proponent, the proponents of the initiative, seem to think wh- whatever it is that you want, thing X, we could have if only we had an initiative. It's been 20 years. What, what have we got? It, it, at some point, does that become a misanthropic stance? Just to say Mississippi wants this, but they're not getting it through the initiative process, so we'll take that away and trial by fire. We'll see what happens to the state. I have no idea what you're talking about. Essentially, what I'm hearing from you is to some extent you're calling Mississippians bluff, right? Saying that they favor these broad social welfare programs like Medicaid expansion, but that they don't actually elect people that support them. I am not calling Mississippians bluff. I'm saying the voters of the state have elected officials to carry out what they want. And there are various groups that insist that through an initiative they can bring about policies which the voters have rejected. Barring a legislative special session, lawmakers will not have an opportunity to formally address the ballot initiative process early until next year. Coming up, a new hospital is set to open in rural Tate County. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Since North Oaks Regional Hospital in Senatobia closed three years ago, Tate County has gone without an emergency medical facility. That's forced residents to drive almost an hour to access care in the Memphis metro. Now the county is ready to welcome an inner new hospital. Later this month, Highland Hills Medical Center is slated to open in the old North Oaks site. But uncertainty lingers. If one hospital couldn't survive in a small town in the Delta, why should residents believe another will succeed in the exact same spot? MPB's Ashley Norwood spoke with Tony Sandridge, who's the Tate County supervisor. He acknowledges that rural hospitals face unique challenges, but he retains his enthusiasm for the new facility. Man, we are so excited to have this to happen. You know, one of the things that has taken place is the old saying is, you don't miss your water till your well run dry. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll well ran dry, and uh, we got a second opportunity. We are really excited to have the hospital to open back up. Can you talk to me about the former hospital? Like, I mean, who operated there, or at least why did it close? We didn't know a whole lot about them. It was more or less private uh, opportunity and private organization, and they didn't have a whole lot of contact with us so we didn't have that relationship like we're having now and i think the, that was one of the things was when when you when we got a company uh any kind of industry that's in our district uh, in our county we kind of like kind of keep up if they're running into any kind of issues if there's anything that we can do to help we'd like to do that and they didn't we didn't have that line of communication uh open so we really didn't know we really don't know what happened how it happened or anything we just know that they just up and left. You know, I, I realize rural hospitals uh, in Mississippi, or you know, just in general, they have their unique right. challenges, right? What do you think is going to make this development different or sustain it for the community? Well, one of the things that I see is 
if you want to if you want to think about what COVID has done to to this world, especially for small communities that that has had to travel uh, distance to go to a hospital, like the next one up is Baptist DeSoto to us, about 30 miles away. And I have nothing negative to say about Baptist except for it's huge. And when you're coming from a, from a small area, it you know it kind of it kind of that's where you want to be. You want to be at a place where people know who you are, and not just the number. And I think that this is going to play a big part for us that in a rural area that now we we missed it. It came back. We really understand what we had, and we know what we got now. And I think we're going to embrace it to the fullest and make it a successful place. You know, I always think of the old old TV show. Cheers, where you walk through the door and Norm, Norm walks through and everybody knows them. And that's kind of the things that we're used to in a small environment. That everybody knows everybody. And that's just a, that's just a comfort for us. And uh, I think that's what's going to happen with the hospital, that we're going to know the people that's there serving us. And, and also the leaders are going to know the leaders there. And uh, we're just going to have such a good relationship that if anything is going on wrong, we can help each other out. And that was one of the issues because a lot of companies keep to themselves and don't have a relationship with the leaders in the in the areas. And when that when it breaks down, it's almost too late for anybody to recover. So with us coming through in a small area, I think we're going to embrace it a whole lot more than uh, they even recognize. Is there anything I didn't ask you, uh, supervisor, that you think is important to add? The excitement that we have for for the hospital and the relationship that we have with the staff there is going to be the key. The key to making it happen, we're going to try to keep everything as positive as we possibly can. In the past, when you get rural hospitals and you think that they don't have the equipment to, to really help and save lives, this one is, is uh, pretty much telling us they're going to have pretty much everything that you need. Like I said, when you have to have to have to drive as far as we had to, and when we didn't have as many ambulances and they get tied up to the areas that having to go north or either south, this is just going to be a better service for our community. Period. The the, the travel time for for uh, our emergency people is going to be great. Uh, people that that really don't have to call for an ambulance, they can actually drive up to the emergency room. So it's this is going to be you know, rural hospitals, like you said before, sometimes have had issues with surviving. But, again, with me saying that COVID and how it has done, it really has opened our eyes to a lot of things. And, honestly, I believe this is the best thing that could possibly ever happen to us after a pandemic. Healthcare executive Joshua Hammonds has been tapped to serve as CFO for the new hospital. He promises Tate County residents the new facility will serve as a valuable part of their community. We have a brand new state-of-the-art CT system we're putting in. It's actually should be completed installing today. Brand new central monitoring system, including telemetry for the entire hospital. Painted the entirety of the outside of the building, redone the parking lot. I really do think people, when they come here, they're going to be amazed at the attention to detail that we've had. And and I believe everything we've done shows our commitment to this community. You know, one unusual thing, and it's so refreshing, the citizens of this county, the elected officials, et cetera, 
it's been amazing the support they've shown for us. Countless calls from individuals, mayors, board of supervisors. I cannot say enough about how wonderful they are. The Highland Hills Medical Center is scheduled to open in late July. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.